listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Again, today the topic, this is why most Christians uh, can never be millionaires. Uh, I want to talk about it uh, because um, right up front, there's, I'm just going to get a couple of things out of the way. Number one, there's going to be people that log on that are going to say, well, the majority of Christians in the world live in third world countries. You know, that's going to be one of the arguments. And obviously that's not what their voice sounds like. I don't, I don't know why I did that voice. But, uh, <laughs> but there's going to be people that log on. Uh, and I'll do a normal voice. Obviously, the majority of Christians in the world live in third world nations. We can't expect them to be millionaires, right? We can't expect them to be millionaires. Uh, and by what metric are you measuring this? Millionaires in what currency? I'm sure people will talk about that. You expect somebody who lives in India to be a millionaire in U.S. dollars? You know, I, I'm sure those arguments will come up. So we'll cover these things. I just, I want to talk about this because... Um, the more important thought that I'm trying to get to with this broadcast and podcast, if you're listening on the podcast, is that um, there are things that keep Christians back from what God has for them, wants for them. Now, I will say from the very beginning, and I've, I've made this um, statement a couple of times, even ministers and scholars who are opposed or have been opposed to the teaching of financial prosperity. They still agree. There's still scholars that are against the quote unquote prosperity gospel that also still agree that God wants his children to be blessed financially. Uh, a perfect example that I'll bring up often is, is someone like R.C. Sproul, who's now um, passed away, but he was not uh, a prosperity preacher by any means. He was reformed um, and he was totally against, I mean, I believe he was cessationist. He was totally against the, the quote unquote prosperity gospel. But in his book that's entitled, Now That's a Good Question, it's a question and answer book separated by subject or topical uh, sections. When you get to the section on finances, uh, it was very interesting to me because I picked that book up um, at, I, I believe I was at a youth camp somewhere and saw it in the bookstore, picked it up because I was interested about it because he was also an apologist. And I was looking at it, I was expecting when I get to this chapter of uh, uh, finances or money, uh, someone's going to ask, you know, do, does God want ch uh, his children to be blessed financially or to, to have abundance in f finances? And I thought for sure he was going to be like, absolutely not. That's that heretical teaching of the prosperity gospel. And, you know, I expected him to slam and bash it. When I got to the chapter, I was very surprised to find that uh, he agreed that God does love his children and that God does, because of his love for his children, he does want to provide for them financially. He does want them to do well financially. Very surprised to find that. And uh, I have that book in my library. I'll, I'll, I'll reference it on these things because that's, that's pretty mind-blowing to me. Um, if you were with me, when was this, last week? My cousin and I did a broadcast together regarding um, the prosperity gospel in part, healing in tongues. Uh, what, what other Reformed preachers like uh, Dr. John MacArthur or um, others that you know, that are, that are preaching like Justin Peters or who, whoever may address it online or in their church, what they think and how they feel uh, biblically, scripturally about that message of abundance. Well, uh, I'll say this again because it's important for people to hear. Even those who oppose uh, things like financial prosperity, right? Like Dr. John MacArthur would not teach that. He would say it's, it's demonic to teach that message. Um, and then we talked about it a little bit on a broadcast with me and John, but he obviously believes God's the one who blessed him. And he obviously believes that God's the one who blesses Christians if they're blessed. He doesn't believe the devil's blessing you. He believes it's God. The only difference, as I brought up in that broadcast, the only difference between 
uh, what he believes about it and what we believe about it is that he and other reformed uh, believers would believe that God by his sovereign decree has chosen people to be blessed, but they would also believe that he's chosen other believers to suffer or go without for his own purpose by his decree. And so they, their argument around that, see, because when I was younger, I thought that people who did not agree with uh, finan- the message of financial abundance, I thought that they just didn't believe in Christians having financial abundance. And so if that truly was the case, you know, you hear preachers that'll say stuff like, well, if that's what you really believe, you should give everything away. You should give everything you have to the poor and live in a hut. Well, that's not what they believe. So that's a straw man argument uh, that people who are against the message of financial abundance, prosperity gospel, as they call it, uh, are against Christians being blessed. They're not against Christians being blessed, but they just believe when a Christian is blessed, it's because God, by his sovereign decree, has chosen that believer to be blessed. While other believers may be going through something that God's putting them through uh, in, a, in a position of lack or, you know, whatever, poverty, whatever that is. So uh, I was surprised to find that. So it's interesting to note that it's not that they don't believe God blesses people. It's that they don't believe that you should tell people that if they give or if they sow financially, that they should expect to reap a financial harvest back. And one of the things that uh, I dealt with, I was speaking to um, someone who does not believe like we believe, and we were discussing this topic. And uh, I asked the question very directly to that person. I said, well, you know, don't you know the Bible specifically, uh, the apostle Paul refers to financial giving as seed in 2 Corinthians 9 in Galatians chapter 6 and in context with taking an offering or giving financially. And then he's the one who says that whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Or 2 Corinthians 9, when you give, then God will cause a harvest to come back to you and you'll be enriched in every way. Um, And and, and the answer was surprising to me. The answer was, no, I believe that God, when, we, when he blesses us, he, he will bless us for our obedience, but we just never know what form it's going to take. That was the answer I got. We never know what form it's going to take. We could give, but it could come back to us in peace for our minds. It could come back to us as better relationships. It could come back to us as opportunities. It could come back to us as health in our bodies, which, you know, I, I, don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that that's what the Bible teaches. And so... I want to deal in this broadcast, and by the way, take a minute to share this one, because people need to hear this. They need to hear this. And the reason I say it's so vital, it's not just about uh, your personal blessing, your personal abundance, though that is very important. They need to hear this because one of the things that people have to realize is there is actual work to be done in the kingdom of God. There is actual work to be done. And it's not a little bit of work. There's serious work that needs to be accomplished in the kingdom, but it's going to take the finances that we need to do it to get it done. But I'm going to talk today about why most Christians can never be millionaires. And there's not just one reason. I'm going to give you a few today that you need to make it a a checklist for your own life. You need to make it a checklist and, and constantly be introspective and say, this will never be me in Jesus' name. Now, I, I recognize that, uh, you know, for some people say a millionaire, that's, that's thinking small. For others, it's like, are you serious? You think all Christians should be millionaires? T- to put it more directly, I think Christians, and wherever they're at in the world, should be able to live in a supernatural abundance. And, and let me define that, where their needs are met. They're not in lack, they're not without, they're not just getting by. It's not just that their needs are met, but they're walking in the overflow, abundance. That's the more than enough. They have far more than enough to do what they're called to do. That's how I would define prosperity. That's how I would define abundance, right? There's some people, they don't need $50 million to do what they're called to do. They don't, they don't, they don't, it doesn't have anything to do with their purpose. Others, $50 million would be too small for what they're called to do. So 
part of it is relative to your calling. And God will bless you according to your faith and according to the seeds you sh that you sow. But remember that there are parts of this that are relative. There are some people in what they're doing, they don't need 50 million. Others, they, they need far more than 50 million, right? So it is relative in, in some sense, but your seed produces harvests. So I, I want you to hear this today. There are certain reasons. Let me give you, let me break into this. I know there's going to be people, hopefully that helps anybody that, that uh, logs on later or logs on now. They have to rewind and watch that. They're like, well, I don't know what he's talking about. There's Christians in India. There's, yes. Again, that's not what their voice sounds like. I don't know where that, that voice keeps coming out. I got to have somebody check me on that voice. Um, but yes, there are Christians in India. I would say this though. It's mind blowing to me that the, the churches that are the most blessed financially and the churches that are the most productive in every area are not in the United States of America and they're not in Europe. That should be an eye opener to people who have that argument. Let, let me just say that one more time. And that should be a big eye opener to those who, who uh, espouse that argument that, well, they're, they're in third world countries. You can't expect them to be blessed. The, the most productive churches, the most blessed churches financially are not in the United States and they are not in Europe. They're in third world nations, right? I'm, I'm looking at these things and it's blowing my mind to see uh, what God's doing in these other nations that far surpass what churches in the U.S. are doing, what churches in Europe are doing. And they say, well, all, most, of the, you know, the, most of the wealth is in, in the United States. That's why they uh, believe like that and talk like that. Let me tell you, the message of abundance and prosperity was not formed in the United States. This Bible is thousands of years old, written in the Middle East. So it ha has nothing to do with the United States. And so the churches that are doing the most and the most blessed, as Yanil said, even in Nigeria, where they're in the midst of a, a recession, a heavy recession, Right? But they're building buildings that are over 300 million U.S. dollars to build and paying cash, things like that. I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing. So I don't look at that and say, well, this is a message that's reserved for America. I don't believe that one bit, one bit. I look at these things, these documentaries that come out, the American gospel. I don't believe it one bit. I think that's a foolish way to think. Because you're limiting God. People that think like that are limiting God by geography and economy. What a stupid thing to do. We're talking about the same God who brings rivers in the desert, who creates where there is nothing, right? We're going to limit our almighty God to be defined by local government and local economy. That's a, such a foolish thing to do. Our God is unlimited. Our God is not locked down. I mean, the Old Testament and the New Testament prove this. How many times did God supersede what was going on in national government? How many times did God supersede what was going on in the economy and in the midst of famines and in the midst of droughts and in the midst of a siege from an enemy nation and God blessed his people Anyway, how many times did we see that happen in the Old and New Testament? Our God is not limited by uh, government, by economy, by culture. He's not limited. So to look at it today and say, well, that's an American gospel, as if God can only do this in America. And as I pointed out, the largest things that are happening in the kingdom are happening in third world nations and the most prosperous things and the most prosperous things. So I think it's a very shallow and foolish argument to say that this is something that's American in nature. It's not American in nature. It is biblical in nature. And God has a desire to bless. Why can't most Christians step into that? Why do we see so many that are struggling? Because obviously being a Christian is not the only thing that brings the blessing of finances. There, there are sinners that have money. But remember, the Bible says the blessing of the Lord... Proverbs 10, 22, it not only makes rich, it adds no sorrow unto it. And so there's plenty of people that are wealthy in the world that are not Christians that, yeah, they've got money, but they've got sorrow attached to it. That's why you have people like Anthony Bourdain and Robin Williams, though they're multimillionaires, killing themselves. 
They're killing themselves because, yes, they've got money, but there's plenty of sorrow added to it. That's not true prosperity, to have all that money and be totally tortured nonstop by suicidal thoughts and depression and anxiety. And that's, that's not prosperity. That's not prosperity to have millions in the bank, but your family's fallen apart and your kids won't speak to you and your wife has left you. And that's not prosperity. That's money. Money's not the only thing that defines prosperity. However, you better have some money. You better have some money. You know, the gospel's free, brother. Okay, try flying around the world to go preach it to people. Try setting up stage, stages in nations. Try, try putting these things together and have no money. And just when they ask you to pay the bill for your flight to that nation or to stay in that nation or to set up a stage in that nation, just tell them, don't you guys understand the gospel's free? The message of the gospel might be free, but the carrying out, the agenda, the, the actual effort to bring the gospel to people is not free. It's not free. And so I want you to hear this today because there are reasons why many Christians can never be blessed in the way that God wants to bless them. The number one uh, reason, and I'm not doing these in any uh, order of uh, specificity, but I want you to write them down. Number one is because they simply don't believe it. That's huge. But put it in the comments, put it in your notes. They simply don't believe it. They've either listened to something or they were raised in a way, right? Uh, they were raised in a way that they were taught uh, that that's, that's wrong. You know, so that just got so into them. Well, that's, that's wrong to believe like that. That's wrong to think like that. There's people that were taught, you now, and they hear this growing up their whole life. Now, we don't give to get. Oh, really? Then you might as well tear your Bible up. Because your Bible specifically tells you to give to get. Specifically. It's, it's not like something we've around about come to the conclusion. I think what the Bible's saying. The Bible specifically promises, specifically promises that God, it's, it's not the system of seed time. It's the system of seed time and harvest. Who created that? God did. And that's why the apostles encouraged the New Testament church and said, we want you to sow, we want you to give, but remember that when you give, here's what's gonna happen. God's gonna take the seed you sow, multiply it, and return it back to you as a harvest. Paul said to the Galatian church, whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. In fact, let me show you how strongly Paul taught this. And, and the verbiage that the Holy Spirit inspired him to use. Listen to this. Um, do not, this is Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Now, what context is he saying this in? Look at verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. That's talking about giving to the teacher. So he's talking about an offering being given to the one who is teaching the word to the people. And then he says, and don't be deceived, God's not mocked, whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up, look at this. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are in the household of faith. So yes, of course, Paul's talking about the fact here that whatever you sow is what you're going to reap and you should not grow weary. You know, we use that for everything. Let's not grow weary in doing good. And we use it for every context. Don't stop volunteering in church. Don't stop living. And, and yes, use it for all those things. But Paul's talking about Actually, let's not get weary in the good of our giving, in blessing others, and especially those that are in the body of Christ and those that are teaching. And so he's actually teaching that in the context of financial giving. And what did he say? He said that there is a harvest that comes. There is a due season in which we will reap if we don't give up. Same thing, 2 Corinthians 9. Sow the seed that you're sowing, and when you do, there's going to be a multiplied harvest that comes back to you. So this is the, the, what the Lord, when you go back to Genesis and he sets up the system in the earth, 
There's no time, there's no farmer that ever expects to plant seeds and not reap a harvest. None. So it's, it's interesting to me, it actually blows my mind that people say, you know, brother, we shouldn't give to get. So what are they doing? They're cultivating a mindset where they simply don't believe in the system of seed time and harvest. They don't believe in abundance. Well, brother, I'd give anybody anything, but I, you know, I wouldn't ask for anything back and I don't, I don't need. And so they got this mindset that they've built up a mindset of it's always give, it's never receive. In fact, let me ask you this by the uh, showing of hands in the comments. How many of you have dealt with somebody where you have tried to bless them, tried to buy them dinner, buy them something, give them a gift, whatever, and they couldn't receive it? Put a hand up if you've dealt with someone like that, where you've tried to bless them, you've tried to do something for them, but they just could not receive it. I've dealt with many people like that. My wife and I always go back to our house shaking our heads and thinking like, I can't believe it. This is how people are. They, they would give you the shirt off their back, but they cannot receive anything because they've got this mindset that, and, and I'm going to tell you, and I know this is hard to hear, but it's true. It is a false humility. It's pride wrapped up in false humility. I don't need anybody giving me anything. It's pride wrapped up in false humility. That's exactly what it is. There is no way around that. There's no way around that. Humility receives. You're not too good to receive your harvest. You're not too good to receive your harvest. You're not too good to receive a blessing from others. In fact, that's a Bible promise. It's a Bible promise. And people, they get into that mindset where they can't receive. You know what you're doing? You're canceling half of God's covenant. You're canceling half of God's covenant. It's not the system of seed time. It's the system of seed time and harvest. Amen, Yanil. It's the system of seed time and harvest. It's supposed to come back to you. It's supposed to come back. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And men will come and get, it's, it's, it's not going to fall out of heaven. People don't even understand that the Bible can talk about multiple things in one passage. Well, brother, Luke chapter six is not talking about financial giving. It's talking about forgiveness. No, it's talking about forgiveness and financial giving. It's talking about both. It's not just talking about one. You know, that's what you hear. People, you know, Luke six, Luke six is not about, um, it's not about, it's about judging people and forgiveness. No, it's about multiple things. It's about judging it's about introspective judgment from yourself, but it's also about giving. You know, you can change the subject in the same sentence. Judge not, and you'll be not judged. This is verse 37 of Luke 6. Condemn not, and you'll be not condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it'll be given to you. You see how they're, you see how they're changing the subject? First, judge, then condemn, then forgive, then give right? It's, it's all being talked about in the same context here. Don't judge others. You won't be judged. Don't condemn others. You won't be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Give and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap for with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. So that's true with all four of those things. If you judge people, you'll be judged. That's a harvest that you're getting back from seeds you sown. If you condemn others, you'll be condemned. Why? You sowed the seed of condemnation, you'll reap condemnation. Same with forgiveness. You forgive others, you'll be forgiven. Same with giving. You give, it'll be given to you. You give, it'll be given to you. It's a system that God created. It's, it's, it's a system God created. And this is a false humility that creates this mindset that I can't receive anything from anybody. Well, then you've cut God's hands or you, you, you've cut off the blessing from God's hands because he wants to bless you, but it's his method. And so people don't believe it. They'll, they'll, they'll get back and, well, brother, I don't give to get. That, that to me is one of the most baseless and, and foolish uh, phrases that flies through the body of Christ. It's baseless. It's not in the scripture. How many know the Bible says we don't give to get? No, it doesn't say that. It specifically says the opposite. It specifically says that harvests are coming back to you when you give. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. And so, 
uh, people, they come up with these things that are not in scripture, but they've been taught them over the years uh, from their religious background or maybe their family believed it or whatever it might be. You have to break out of that and go to what the Bible actually says. I, I do not want to tie God's hands or, or, or stop the blessing from flowing to me because I refuse to receive what God has planned for me. It's like going to your birthday party and being like sitting there looking around and there's a, a whole gift table and you're sitting there and you're like, no, no, thank you guys for coming, but I, I just couldn't accept any of that. I, you know, it's like, no, no, we, we brought them for you. No, I mean, you know, I appreciate you thinking of me, but I, I just, it's like, no, that is yours. They all have your name on it. They're not for anybody else. Here's the other thing that blows my mind in this same mindset. People think they have to do without because there are others who don't have enough. Now, the Bible's very clear that we should all be blessing the poor without question. If you're not doing that, you need to begin to do it in some way, shape, or form. And you need to do it uh, abundantly. That's one of the things when you partner with this ministry, part of what you sow is going into blessing uh, those around the world that don't have enough. And that's what we do. And I wanted to make sure we're in the top tier of people that are giving to that organization because I'm not going to be a ministry that doesn't bless the poor. We bless abundantly, abundantly. Hundreds of kids are eating every day. Abundantly we bless. But we should bless the poor. But here's something Jesus said. Doesn't mean you stop blessing the poor, but you do realize, don't you, you're never gonna solve world poverty world hunger. It's actually birthed, much of it is birthed by corruption. It's birthed by corruption. People think they're going to come up with some plan to solve world poverty. If you gave everyone in the world an equal distribution of wealth by a week, let a week pass, there would again be rich people and poor people. It's done by corruption. People gave all this money to Puerto Rico. People gave all this money to Haiti. People gave all this money when all these natural disasters hit and almost none of the money gets to the place. You know why? It has to filter through tons of corrupt hands. It's, it's, and they're still in shambles. These places are still in shambles. They should be able to turn those nations around with the infrastructure they have. They should be able to turn them around, but they can't. You know why? All these people give towards these charitable causes to help these nations that have been suffer, suffered through natural disasters and it has to pass through so many corrupt hands, manipulation and control. Manipulation and control. That's why many people are kept. People don't even realize it's a system. They want to keep you in poverty. They want to keep you in poverty. Do you ever wonder why, uh, you know, Things like the cash for gold stores, you know, get an advance on your paycheck stores. Do you ever notice why, like the the the, uh, the all the liquor stores and corner stores? You ever you never notice they're all not in the wealthy neighborhoods; they're in the poor neighborhoods. You ever notice that? You never thought that maybe you know there's a reason, don't you? Don't you ever think about this? There's a reason that even in hip hop, they call certain places that are like the projects. They call them traps. You know, you've heard of trap beats and trap music. But what is that coming from? Coming from the traps. Why do they call them traps? You ever think about that? Why do they call it a trap? It is a trap. Whether they mean it that way or not, it is a trap to keep people in poverty. Oh yeah, come let us give you an advance on your paycheck. We'll only charge you like 30% interest. It's like I pass these, pass these places, cash for gold. I never, I never, who are these people? They're like, dang, I need some cash. All I've got is all this extra gold. <laughs> hey, what do you got, pirates coming in there? The heck is going on? It's a trap. You know, issuing credit cards to people with a 31.9% interest rate. It's a trap. They want, you know, anybody that is without resources is much easier to control than people who have resources. That's why, that's why I'm sure that when the Antichrist finally manifests himself and that one world system is being ushered in, it's not going to be hard to get a ton of people uh, marked up with the mark of the beast. It's not going to be hard to get people to get a mark in their right hand and in their forehead. First of all, it'll seem convenient. And secondly, if they don't want to do it, you know what they'll say? Well, then you can't have your prescriptions. Well, then you can't have your insurance. Well, then you can't have your Medicare and your Medicaid and you can't have your welfare check and all that, all that. 
So it's not going to be hard. It's going to be easy because the more dependent people are, the more of a slave they are to do uh, what the one who is feeding them asks them to do. When you have resources and you can do things for yourself, you are not controlled by anybody in that way. Even the Bible says that a borrower is a slave to the lender. Borrower is a slave to the lender. So understand this today. Understand this today. Um, there's a plan to keep people poor. And it's not, it's not just like Christians that think that. There, there are thinkers. There are like secular, educated thinkers who have the same opinion. It's created to tear families apart, to keep people in subjection, to keep people poor, to keep people subservient, without question. Have you ever seen how the favelas work? Like overseas, if you go to Brazil, and you'll see like the favelas in the mountains that are built in, those are like the projects that are built into the sides of the mountains um, in Brazil. I was just in Colombia. Um, I'm trying to remember the name, Invasion. That's what they call it in Colombia invasion. It was like an invasion of people that moved into the mountains and started communities and then they just built them out. I believe it's called invasion. And so you ever think about this? You go to Brazil and the favelas are there or, or Colombia and you've got these cartels that run areas and you know what they do? All of those people do whatever the cartels want them to do. Not just because they, they threaten them with danger and they threaten them with violence, but you know what they'll do? They'll provide water for them. They'll provide uh, access to food. They'll provide, you know, electricity for them in the favelas that are run by the cartels. It's like, oh, so you'll just keep us on the just enough so that you can, you know, and if, if the police ever come or if agents ever come, we're not going to rat you out because you're the one that gives us the electric. You're the one that gives us uh, the, the, the water. You're the one that gives us access to food. We're not going to, we're, we're going to be loyal. Why? You don't want to bite the hand that's feeding you, that's keeping you on a leash just enough so you can live, but not enough so you can ever break out of poverty. People love John Gotti in New York. You know, they, they, they didn't want, not the mafia, but people in the, in the neighborhoods. He was buying, he was putting together uh, family centers and, and gyms and all kinds of stuff and building it for the community. And the community loved John Gotti. They didn't want to see him go to jail. They all loved him. They all loved him. You know why? Just enough. Just enough. Just enough. There's a, an, an evil spirit of control and manipulation. That's an antichrist spirit, by the way. If you understand the antichrist spirit, it always seeks to manipulate and control, always throughout the whole Bible. Anti-God spirit in the Old Testament, anti-Christ spirit in the New Testament, manipulation and control. That's exactly what keeps people in a place of slavery. Slavery. The devil does not want any of God's children to walk in that kind of abundance because you become a powerful tool in the kingdom. When you've got far more than enough for your, just your needs, then you can start to have vision beyond your needs. You know, if I'm just trying to make it for myself and I don't have enough and I can't keep my lights on, I can't keep food in the refrigerator, I can't keep my kids clothed, there's not a whole lot of vision beyond that that I can accomplish, is there? If I'm just worrying every week about making enough to keep the lights on and to keep the water running and to keep food in the fridge and to keep my kids clothed and going to school and just a, a tiny bit extra maybe to, to, to you know, have a movie night or something. Let me tell you, if you're living that kind of lifestyle, you don't have a lot of vision beyond your own personal life. But when you break beyond that and you get into the place of abundance and prosperity, you're no longer looking to just fill your refrigerator with groceries or clothe your children or, or, or keep your uh, bills paid. Now you're paying other people's bills and now you're buying other people's groceries and now you're taking care of other people's children and you're buying gifts for others and providing Thanksgiving for others and Christmas for others and feeding others. That's how it works. You can't have vision beyond what you can handle. So if you're living a lifestyle, which is where the devil wants you, of just enough, that's why God's not in the just enough. It's not in the just enough. And that's why it's important to believe this the way the Bible teaches it. Jesus, I try to point these things out about Jesus and people are like, oh, I never thought of that. It's like Jesus feeds 5,000 men plus the women and the children with five loaves and two fish in John chapter six. Jesus can count. God can count. He knew how many people were there that day. God did. And he knew, he knew how hungry they were and he knew how much they would eat. He knew how much they would eat until they were full. But did you ever notice that in John chapter 6, as Jesus is multiplying the loaves and the fish, 
He keeps on multiplying and keeps on multiplying. He's doing a divine miracle. And by the time everybody, thousands of people, thousands of people had eaten and were full and wanted no more. Did they look around and say, wow, Jesus, you provided just enough. You must have known by a supernatural word of knowledge how hungry all these people were. And you provided the exact amount to feed thousands of people. No. When they were done feeding everyone, Jesus, by God's power, had, a, had multiplied enough that everyone had eaten plus what? Twelve baskets of leftovers. Do you know what that shows you? Because God knows and Christ knows and did the miracle by God's power. It's that God's not just interested in meeting the needs of the people. It wasn't just a little bit so you could have a taste this afternoon before you go home because we are in the wilderness and I am going to teach for a while so you'll need a little snack. It wasn't a snack bag. They ate until they were full and wanted no more. And when they were done eating, not just the men, the women and the children, there were 12 basketfuls left over. You know why? Jesus is proving a point. I am the God of more than enough. I'm the God of excess. Jesus comes back from his resurrection. The disciples are fishing on the ocean, on the sea, I should say. And they're coming in after having fished all night, haven't caught anything. He says, cast your net to the other side of the ship. So many fish jump into the net that the net begins to tear. They can't believe it. They can't believe it. And they come back to the shore and there's all these fish, 153 large fish, the Bible says, so huge. And they come in and Jesus is standing at a campfire and he's already got his own fish. He doesn't even need what they have. He's already got his own and he wasn't even fishing. You see what I mean? He's a God of more than enough. More than enough. And and this is how God operates. He wants people to be in the more than enough. When he put Adam in the garden, there was no lack. There was no poverty. There was no sin. He put him in the garden and there was more than enough. Far more than enough. In fact, did you ever think about this? God wouldn't even create human beings before creating a place of abundance to put them. That ought to just make you shout wherever you're watching this. God refused to create human beings until he first created a place of abundance to put them. He made the garden first. He made the fruit first. He made the animals work. And let me tell you, by the time man was created, he already had an environment of abundance in which to live. God's not, I'm going to let you live here in poverty for a while while I'm, I'm creating the rest of the world. No, no, no. Let me create the place for you. Man. I mean, I've never seen this before, but it just hit me now. Uh, God was preparing a place for Adam. Hallelujah. God was preparing a place For Adam, what is Jesus doing right now? He is preparing a place for us in heaven. It's not like we're going to get there and then heaven's construction is going to begin. We got, hey, listen, uh, I know it's back ordered. We got a lot of mansions on order. We got a lot of people that are coming up. It's the rapture. A lot of people are moving in. So we're going to just put you in a hotel for a while. Christ is preparing a place for us. Christ is preparing a place. The place is created before the people get there. Why? He's a God who provides more than enough. God prepared a place for Adam. Christ is preparing a place for us. You see? And so it's the same throughout Scripture. Throughout Scripture, he's a provider. But some people have been taught not to believe it. Don't believe that. It's an American gospel. I don't give to get. They simply don't believe it. The second thing I gave you, this is number two, why many Christians can never do it, is because they refuse to receive. So even if they are givers, they refuse to receive. That's number two. Number one, they don't believe in it at all. Number two, they cannot receive. And that's way more people than you think. It's way more people than you think it is. You say, oh man, people can receive them. It's way more people. You'd be blown away by how many Christians are operating in false humility and can't receive a blessing when when it comes to them. You'd be blown away. And for many of them, it's how they were raised. You have to break beyond that, break past that, and do what, receive what the Bible says. Did you know the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5, I understand the context of spiritual uh, humility, 
Blessed are the meek, the humble. Why? For they shall inherit the earth. The meek, the humble. It takes humility to inherit. It takes humility to receive. Pride will stop you from receiving. It takes humility to receive. Then number three, you want to talk about it. Uh, how, how often do we talk to people in, in society talk about how, you know, you, you get a reference of rich and like rich is bad. <laughs> that happens. It's like these rich people do. And it's, it's like always a negative context. Why is it a negative context? Why is being rich automatically lumped in with being evil or bad? It's like these rich people over here. It's like, okay, so what's wrong? What's wrong with riches? People treat riches like they're evil. The Bible, people even misquote the Bible. How many know the Bible says money's the root of all evil? It doesn't say that. The Bible does not say money is the root of all evil. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money. The love of money. In fact, let me go there with 1 Timothy 6 with you because I want to show you another reason here. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Doesn't say money's the root of all evil. If money, if money itself, if money was evil or having money, then something would have had to have been wrong with Jesus. Because Jesus had money. You know, I don't, I'm not going to get into teaching on the fact that Jesus wasn't poor, but Jesus wasn't poor. Anybody that thinks Jesus was poor can't read. Because the Bible is very plain about the fact that he wasn't poor. That he had money, that he had people who traveled with him that constantly, wealthy people. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Jesus was not poor, he had plenty. He had money in a treasury with a treasurer that he employed. And 11 other men along with him, plus the others that traveled with him. And they gave regularly from their wealth. Jesus wasn't poor. What a stupid thing to, to, to believe. Money's evil, brother. No, money's not evil. Money is inanimate. It's an inanimate object. That it's a tool that does what you tell it to. It's the love of money. It's the love of money. But I want you to see this in 1 Timothy. Because um, this is a very sad thing that does happen to people. The love of money. The Bible says... Uh, 1 Timothy 6, I'm starting with verse 9. Look, look now. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. See, brother, there it is right there. We shouldn't desire to be rich. It's wrong to have an inordinate desire. If you read the whole passage, he's talking about contentment. He's talking about contentment. So people that have an inordinate desire to be rich, it produces this love of money. It's a greed. It's a covetousness. I get that. I totally understand that. Godliness with contentment is great gain. But if you understand God's desire for you to be blessed, then your love is not placed on the finances or on the things. Your love is for God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Right? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So, so it's not that we have a love for riches, but you know what you'll find out if you read the Old and New Testament? Is that if you truly have a love for God, and Jesus said in John 14, 21, that if you truly do love him and love the Father, you'll obey the word of God. That is the truest proof of love. Well, you can't read the Bible and not understand that your obedience to the word brings financial blessing. It's all through the Old Testament. It's all through the New Testament. All through. You can't, I mean, it's one of the easiest things to make a case for in scripture that there is. Easy. It's not hard. It's not few and far between. It's easy to make that case. God said it multiple times that if you'll obey, you'll be blessed financially. Amen. And so it's not that we have a love for things or a love for money. We have a love for God. And if we have a love for God, we obey his word. And if we obey his word, he doesn't withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly. People that are willing and obedient eat the good of the land. If you'll faithfully obey all the commands that I give you this day, I'll set you on high above all the nations of the earth. You'll lend them many nations. You'll not borrow. You'll be blessed going in, blessed going out. I mean, that's to Israel. Old Testament Israel, New Testament church. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. 
That Matthew 6 passage is talking about natural things. Food, clothing, you know, shelter, whatever. All these things will be added. Don't worry about them. That's what sinners do. But first, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added. Given, it'll be given unto you. Right? Whatever man sows, that will he also reap. It's just, it's all through the, obedience brings blessing. Obedience brings blessing. So it's not that we love the things or it's not the fact that we love uh, money. We love God and God, because he knows we love him, he's looking for people on whose behalf to show himself strong and mighty. And one of the ways he will do that is financially. He does that financially. I've tried to outgive God. You can't. I've given so much stuff away. I mean, I, I can't even tell you how much stuff I've given away. I could try to keep giving stuff away. It keeps coming back in greater measure, in greater measure. I've given jewelry away. I've given watches away. I've given shoes away. I've given clothes away. I've given, I mean, so much stuff. And it just, I've got no room. I've got no room. I'm just being very honest with you. I've got no room. I'm, I'm at full capacity to overflow where I continually, I mean, you know you're, you know you're in a place of abundance where it's like, it's, it's not like I'm out here trying to find more stuff. It's like I keep giving stuff away and stuff keeps coming back. It just keeps coming back. And th that's how it works. It's seed time and harvest. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I like Dr. Pastor Mark Hankins says it this way. If you'll develop an addiction to giving, God will support your habit. <laughs> and it's true. If you become addicted to giving, God will support your habit. It's absolutely true. I've tried, you know, imagine the frustration of trying to, uh, you know, take a vow of poverty or you're trying to give everything away. But the very fact that you're giving things away means harvests are coming back. It's like I, I've given and given and given. Harvests keep coming, man. Obedience brings blessings. Obedience brings blessings. And the sad thing is there are people who develop a love for money. There are people who develop a love for things, and in doing so, they forget the Lord their God. Look what the Bible says happens. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Well, there it is. I, I talked about this the other day. I had a, a friend of mine who was trying to be, studying to be a minister, fell in love with things. He didn't grow up with anything. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like a, a known factor that anything that you were without or anything that, was re that you repressed or suppressed uh, comes back with a vengeance when the, when the limits are taken off. So he grew up not being able to have anything, not be able to do anything, not be able to, I mean, just very in a, in a state of poverty. But so when he got some extra money, man, he went all out, started buying everything he could his hands on, started working more hours to get more money because he loved having those things and then started skipping school and skipping church, uh, to, to work more hours and get more money to buy more things. I'd come down every day and there'd be new stuff in the house. New stuff in the house, new stuff in the house. Uh, you bought more stuff? Yeah, bought more stuff. I mean, just, you know why? He's starting to fall in love with money. And what happens? The, those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That's what happened to him, and he's not in the ministry today, though he was called into the ministry, and he was studying for ministry. He's not in the ministry, and who knows what he's doing at this point. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It doesn't say that all that, that have wandered, but some have. And I've seen it at work. It's a dangerous thing. I don't love things. You don't love things. We're not, we don't have an inordinate desire to be rich. But when, when you love God, this is why I like... This is why I like how Bishop David Oyedepo teaches the prosperity message. And if you've not read... Um, if you've not read um, Understanding Financial Prosperity by Bishop Oyedepo, it needs to be on your list. You need to read it as soon as possible. And if, if you say, well, I can't ever get his books because they come from Nigeria and I can't get on Amazon, I can't get them. They're on Apple Books. Apple Books. Get a, get a copy. Now they have, what are those called? The Legacy Editions? What are they doing? Legacy Editions? And there's one on just like prosperity or finances with everything he wrote on prosperity. I think, I think there's one. Now he's released his eBooks on Apple Books in what they're calling legacy editions. And they've separated all his books into topical categories. And so now I think you can get a whole one on like healing, a whole one on prosperity, a whole one on faith. Uh, buy the whole prosperity series of what I'm talking about. The reason that I like 
the teaching that he does is because, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So the, that, the reason I like the teaching that he does is because he teaches the whole, the whole system, not just giving, not just sowing and reaping, the whole system, obedience, consecration, purpose, vision. You know, he teaches all of it. Loving God over loving things. You know, putting God first in your life. Teaches all of it. Best book I've ever read on the subject of prosperity. And I've read a lot because I've been in this flow for a while. And I've read a lot and I read, I read. So I, it's not like I, I read a book every now and then. I, I read a lot. And so I'm just telling you, all of the, pro, and I've, I've read other good books on prosperity. I'm not saying there's not good ones. There are phenomenal ones. Uh, but this is the best one, without question. This is the best one. And look at the fruit of his ministry. Probably the most prosperous ministry on the face of the earth. Think about that for a minute. The one who has the revelation on prosperity has the most prosperous ministry on the face of the earth, most likely. I mean, they're the ones that are building the 376 million U.S. dollar building cash. They have four banks and two power plants. In an, it's called Understanding Financial Prosperity. I mean, they're building a 100,000-seat auditorium, soccer stadium style, with a 20,000-seat children's church. I mean, like, it, it's just, it's mind-blowing. Four banks, two power plants. They've not lost power in Canaan land since 1989, which the power grid in Nigeria is all over the place. They've not lost power. Multiple planes at the airport. I mean, you, you couldn't, <laughs> let me just tell you this. When, as Brother Copeland and Sister Copeland were getting older, and he considers them their, his spiritual father now that Brother Hagin has passed away, he wanted them to keep coming over to Nigeria to speak to the ministers, and it was just hard on Sister Copeland to, to, get, to get over there and be there and stay there. And he said, I want it to be easy for you. So you know what he did? He built them their own mansion on, on his property. He built Brother Copeland and Sister Copeland his own mansion, their own mansion on his property, and next door to that one, built a second one just for his staff, Brother Copeland's staff that he brings with him. Two mansion-style houses on his own property that they paid for cash to honor the man of God. I'm just telling you, like when I tell you that, uh, that they're blessed, they're blessed. If anybody knows what they're talking about, he knows what he's talking about. He understands what he's talking about. And so he gives the whole spectrum, the whole spectrum. And it's the best one I've ever read because these things play in in a massive way. It's why most Christians can't ever step into that place of overwhelming wealth. They don't have consecration. They don't have vision. They don't have, many of them, they, they don't have that, um, uh, what would you call it? I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it to you, the way he would describe it in the book. It's not just about having vision and consecration. They don't have that um, ability to say a quick yes to God and carry out plans. It's like God pays for what he orders. And there's so many people that they hesitate so much to do what God's called them to do. It stops the blessing of God in their life. God's looking for a quick amen, a quick yes. Amen means so be it unto me. Like, yes, that's my word. I'll do it. Let's get it done. And so I'm just telling you, there's a, there's a reason. It's not like God's just sovereignly picking and choosing because he doesn't want these people to be blessed, but he wants these people to be blessed. No, that's not. What, what, what kind of a father is that? Can you imagine if I divvied my children up like that? Like, now listen, my, my girls, I want them to be abundantly financially blessed, but I want my son to struggle financially through his whole life. So I'm going to do my best to work against him and make sure that he's without food and clothing. I'm going to make sure that he really has to struggle hard. I'm going to make sure he asks me 20 times before I, before I uh, provide each meal for him. I'm going to make sure that he's really, really petitioning me for that, for that provision. Like, can you imagine what kind of father I would be if that's how I operated with my children? Now my, my, now my daughters, I want them to be blessed. I've, I've determined that in my heart. They're going to be blessed. But my son, I really want him to struggle. Like, they would take him away from me. They would take my son away from me, ch child protective services. And I'm telling you, the way that some people preach about God and his provision, if he was a human being, CPS would take us away from God. 
That's how some preachers preach about God. CPS would take us away from God as his children because the way some preachers preach him, he's a child abuser. He's a child abuser. You see? Yeah, that's right, Obina. Is that, but, you know, God is working something out in you through that poverty, through that lack, through that struggle. It's, it's not how God operates. That's not how God operates. Now, there are attacks that your faith can rise up and you can overcome every attack and the trying of your faith not only works patience but builds you to another level of faith. But the Bible says, when, let no man say when he's tempted that he's tempted of God, for God tempts no man with evil. That's right, Glenn. If you know God, you know his character and you know his nature and you know his integrity and you know his goodness. And that's why it's so important that we teach the character and nature of God that he's a loving, good, heavenly father that wants to give good gifts to those that ask him. He's a provider. He is a peace giver, a comforter, if you will. He's, he, he's all the things you need. He's all the things you need. And he wants to operate. The only reason he's not fully operational in every person's life is because they've pushed him out in some way or another. They've pushed him out in some way or another. See, and here's where you need to make up your mind. When it comes down to theology, you can either just make up your mind that either people's stories are definitive or the written, inspired word of God is definitive. It can't be both. Let me just break that down quickly before we pray. You have to make up your mind when it comes to your Christianity, your theology. Either the stories that people are living out in their lives, what's happening to them, either those things are definitive of truth, experience, or the written word of God that's inspired by the Holy Spirit is definitive. Can't be both. I'm so, as, a, as a minister, I, I have a great love for people, but I am so tired of hearing people say stuff like this. Well, I know you preach healing, brother. I know you preach healing by faith, but I, know, I knew sister, sister so-and-so, and she was one of the most godly women you'd ever meet. And I'll tell you, she died of cancer. Like, I'm so tired of hearing that. It's like, okay, I'm sorry to hear that. But let me tell you, her life is not definitive of theology. You say, well, I know you think God heals, but I knew Sister Stone. So she was in church every time the doors were open, and she passed away. She had her foot cut off because of diabetes. It's like, okay, I'm sorry to hear that. I wish that that had not been the case. But her story is not definitive of theology. I can't build my theology on things that are subjective rather than what is objective. Truth is objective, not subjective. So I can't build my theology on sister. You know, you know, brother, you know, brother Blake, I'll tell you, brother Blake was a good guy. He was an usher at our church for years. And, you know, and we, we just, we never knew. We never knew that all these years he was dealing with something internally and he had, internally he had stomach tumors and, you know, died. Of, it's like, okay, I, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. That's a sad thing. I hate to see people suffer, but I can't look at Brother Blake and his story and say, well, you know, that's true. I, I know the Bible says God's a healer, but you know, Brother Blake died, so I don't know if God always... Like, stop building your theology on people's subjective experiences. People's lives, people's stories, their experiences do not define theology. The Bible defines theology. I don't care if every single person I prayed for died right after I prayed for them. I'm not gonna say, well, you know, God's not a healer. He's a healer, not because of what happens when I pray for people. He's a healer because his word says he's a healer. That's why. I wouldn't care if every person that I knew was quote unquote tithing and giving. So I can't get any financial harvest to come back and say, well, I guess this financial harvest stuff doesn't work because they're all doing it. It's not working for them. I don't care. See, because here's the thing. Here's where people miss it. You don't know the behind the scenes of every person's life. You don't. You just don't. You don't know if God gave them specific instructions that they refused to carry out. You don't know if, and, and I don't mean that there was, uh, in a sense, sin in their life. I don't mean that they were like addicted to pornography or trafficking humans. I'm not talking about that. But you know, it's also wrong if God commands you to do something for him and you refuse to do it. If he's given you instruction time and time again to do something for him and you've not done it. For him that knows to do right and does it not, to him it is sin. 
You don't know what's behind uh, closed doors. You don't know what people uh, have or have not said to God, done for God, uh, rejected God's voice. You don't know. And, and so I'm not going to say, well, you know, because like, why? First of all, God doesn't bless disobedience. So if you don't know everybody's, that's why you, until you get to heaven, and even then you may not know, God may not reveal any of that stuff to us. It's not our business. And we won't care by the time we get there anyway. We'll just be focused on the majesty of Christ. But it's like, I can't define my theology because of what may or may not have happened to someone. It's not a definitive story. Stop allowing people to be like, I know, well, I, t I tell you, I know you believe that, but sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so, our church, this church, that church, who cares? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? And I'll tell you a couple things you can be sure of. Number one, God is good. His character, his nature, they are a good, loving, providing, blessing, healing, heavenly father. His integrity is intact. Number two, he wants you to receive. He wants to increase your life. He wants to bless your life for your obedience. There's no question about that in the Bible. So you have to get those things out of your mind that, well, you know, oh, I, was, I just wasn't raised like that. Well, change it. Change it. There's also people that everyone in their family died of heart disease and everybody in their family was morbidly obese and it's not because it ran in the family. It's because they all had the same habits, the same upbringing. They were all eating nine biscuits and gravy for breakfast every morning, polishing it off for a milkshake before bed. And, and it's not a generational curse and it's not genetics. It's none of that. It's learned behaviors that you've got to break out of that. Well, I've always been told, you know, we don't give to get. Okay, you may have been told that. Stop saying it. It's not in the Bible. I know that seems harsh, but people need harsh truth sometimes to break out of this mindset. It's like, well, that's an American gospel. Where's that in the Bible? Where's that in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. In fact, the Bible teaches these things and they're happening in other countries more than they're happening in America. So explain that. See what I mean? Break away from these uh, things that, that have been told to you or that have been taught to you for so many years. Break away from that and step into the truth of God's word. Know God's desire, desire the outcome in your own life and pursue him in faithful obedience. Watch what God will do. Watch what God will do. Takes you into abundance and you'll be a blessing to your entire generation. You'll be a blessing to every person around you in Jesus name. In fact, I'm going to pray that God will give you specific instructions. I'll finish by saying this. You've heard me say it. I live like this. I don't just want to make things up in my heart to give. I know you can. I know that's Bible. I know you can. Paul told the Corinthians to do that. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. I agree. I know you can do that. However, I don't want to do that because I know there's another way you can function as well. The Holy Spirit can lead you in your giving, just like he can lead you in any other way in your life. He absolutely can. I want to be led in my giving. I want the Holy Spirit to speak to me, to speak to me about what to do because he has a plan to bless me. Maybe my thinking's too small. The Holy Spirit can correct that. And that's what I want to be careful of. Maybe my thinking is too small, but the Holy Spirit can correct me. Maybe I was thinking about doing one thing, but after he speaks, I realize, yeah, you know what? It didn't really take faith to do the thing I was thinking about doing. It didn't really press me to do the thing that I was, I was just doing it because it was comfortable. But I hear this instruction. I receive this leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to do what he tells me to do. It's going to take faith. It's going to take honor. That's what, that's what all of your seeds that you sow should be wrapped in, faith and honor. It should honor God and it should take faith to do. Amen. And so I want to live that way because God knows where he's taking us and he's gonna, he knows what we're going to need when we get there. That's why he's speaking to us now about sowing. And that's why I want to give by the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's just a tip. Keep yourself introspective. Watch yourself along the way. This is why many people never step over into the, the overflow, the wealth, the abundance of heaven. They either have something that they've thought previously or been taught previously, they don't believe it, or they get into the place where they don't step out to do what the Lord's telling them to do because they look at the, they look at the natural realm. I could take you to Ecclesiastes and talk about that. Those who consider 
uh, you know, the, the, the surroundings, the natural realm, that they, they won't sow when it's time to sow. They won't. They won't. And so that's what we got to be careful of. God wants us in abundance, and God will use us to be a blessing to our generation. Father, I pray for every person that's watching me today, those that are listening on the, on the podcast. I'm asking you, Lord, to give us greater faith as we study your word, read your word, as we abide by your spirit, as we walk in obedience to the word. I thank you that blessing is going to locate us. Your eyes are watching for us. Blessing will overtake us in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that. We give you praise for that. Now, I, I ask you to speak to your people. Lord, as we move forward, we're coming through into this, almost coming into the third month of this year of transformation. Give us very direct instructions about our sowing. And I thank you, Lord, that as we do so, increase is quickly coming back. Our families will never be without, will never lack in Jesus' mighty name. We give you praise for that and glory. Amen. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.